For the month of December, the Business Casual is raising funds in support of the Alzheimer's Society of York Region. Check out our Instagram page or website for links to donate. Kelsey Irvine is the creative director and founding partner of Birch Babe, a plant-based and plastic-free skincare and body care company handmade here in Ontario. She is the creative mind behind the complete rebrand and is the vision and voice of at Birch Babe Naturals on Instagram. Kelsey is also a lifelong entrepreneur with an eclectic background. She started a not-for-profit organization called the Global Groove Movement, where she brought dance and holistic nutrition to women and children in Kenya. She also started her own company, representing some of the top independent commercial directors in North America. She has also co-produced an HBO-acquired documentary, which was nominated for an Academy Award. This love for real documentary storytelling recently came full circle, connecting her to leading Canadian production company Skin and Bones, where she is now represented as a commercial director. Through these diverse experiences, Kelsey has learned that the best approach is to stay humble, embrace being a beginner, and lead with love. And with that, I welcome Kelsey to the show. Hi, Kelsey. How are you today? I'm awesome. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm so excited to have you on the show today and to hear more about Birch Babe and your career and your entrepreneurial journey throughout the last couple years. Uh, but before you begin, we're going to get into some rapid fire questions to get to know you a little bit better. What's something in pop culture that you think is overhyped? So this is a this is probably the hardest question. I think one of my sister had to help me answer this question. Something that I'd say is overly hyped right now in pop culture would be um, this thing that I see everyone doing on Instagram where like, I think it's a TikTok thing where they hop and then you're in your next outfit and then you hop again and you're in your next outfit. Yeah. It's really cute. And I have to be honest, when I watch it, I can't look away because it really pulls me in, but I'm kind of getting to a point where I'm like, I just want to see something else. Like everyone's hopping and everyone looks really, really excited to hop. But I just know from my production background that no one is that happy to hop. And they've probably done that take like 15 times and then spent countless hours editing it together. That makes sense. No, definitely TikTok. It's nice when there's a new trend, but then it gets so like overplayed and overused. And then by like one week later, I'm already sick of it. And I'm like, okay, I need the next trend. Like I need new things constantly, which is probably bad and shows that my attention span is really short, but it's honestly the truth with TikTok, especially. Totally. I'm like, I, I really, it's really cool. I, I'm not dissing it that way. I'm just, I've seen it too much. We need to move on. Someone needs to come up with a new TikTok trend. Definitely. It's not, maybe it'll come back during Easter time. Cause it's maybe. But yeah, maybe, maybe it'll be an Easter thing. <laughs> Next is what is the most beautiful place you've traveled to? Hands down, Maui in Hawaii. Uh, my partner and I rented a van that we could live in and we drove the road to Hannah and it is the most beautiful road trip I've ever been on. It's six hours of just jungle on one side and then ocean on the other side and just consistent switchbacks. There's no advertising anywhere, no billboards, no big box, no um, brand names that you recognize. It's just a couple little shacks on the side of the road that you might come across to get a taco or a drink. It's so beautiful. And at the beginning we were, you know, at the top of uh, a mountain and we, you know, we're actually at the top of a volcano, an inactive volcano in the provincial park. 
and we watched the sunrise and then we got on the road, we did the road trip. And then at the end of it, you reach um, Hannah, which is the bottom of the volcano on the other side where you can also camp, but it's like a totally different vibe. That sounds like heaven. I've never been to Hawaii, but a couple of people on the podcast have said that's also their favorite destination. And also another TikTok trend, because I am obsessed with TikTok. I've seen so many people like buy these like school buses or old vans and like refurbish them. And they look so pretty on the inside and they go on road trips. And I am honestly not the most, like I'm not going to lie. I'm not the most outdoorsy, like spontaneous person ever. I'm very like stick to my routines. Um, not that spontaneous, but the TikTok people make me want to just like hop in a van and just do a road trip somewhere. Oh, totally. That's actually our goal for spring or summer of 2021 is to get a Birch Babe van and pack it with some Birch Babe and then drive it across Canada and like go meet with the stores that we're already selling with, meet with new stores, like give them samples and kind of document it. So that's like my little goal right now is to do the Birch Bay road trip ban. That is so cool. And honestly, the perfect way to travel right now because it's so hard to do air travel or go anywhere like really far. So road trips and vans. And that is such a cool marketing campaign as well. I know like that, yeah, that, that seems really cool. And that would be a great idea. And I look forward to hopefully seeing that on your Instagram in the near future. And the last question I want to ask is what is your drink of choice? So I don't drink alcohol. So my drink of choice is soda stream, sparkling water. So I don't have to buy bottles anymore. Uh, and kombucha. Ooh, I've never heard of that, but it sounds like a good combination. And it's interesting that you have a kombucha tap. I've never heard of anyone else having that in their house. So that's cool. <laughs> um, and now I know you talked a little bit about Birch Babe in those questions, but I want to hear from you what the behind of scenes of Birch Babe is like, how it started, how it's grown, and what your hopes are for the future. Totally. I love telling this story. So Birch Babe actually started about three, almost four years ago. Uh, when my mom, I was saying earlier, she had decided to take an extended vacation and she hiked from the southern tip of Patagonia to the northern tip of Chile by herself. And on this hike, she noticed that there's a lot of garbage in Chile and a lot of garbage in Patagonia. And it really, you know, was a bit depressing for her to see, but in Patagonia, they were just so adamant about keeping everything clean and having, uh, you know, a low footprint and keeping the trails clean that she noticed even one of her trail guides that she was hiking with, he would smoke, but then he would take a cigarette butt and put it in his shoelace just to like not leave it on the trail. And if someone saw a gum wrapper, they would freak out. So she thought, okay, I was already a pretty, you know, eco-conscious person, but there's so much more I can do. So she came home. She immediately decided to retire. She says that she had this connection to God or something, and she's not a religious person. She just really connected to nature while she was there. And she retired, moved to the cottage, and then just started making her own body products. So first it was like these soap rocks, then it was body creams. And it was really the whole intention was just for her to know exactly what she was putting on her body for it to be all natural, organic, marine safe and waste free. And then she started selling to her friends. Then she did some festivals. And while this is all happened, I was watching from the sidelines and I was working in production as a director and a producer. My sister was working as a bar manager in a restaurant. So we were watching her from the sidelines and we saw that it was growing and I'm allowed to say this because my mom knows this, but you know, the branding wasn't that great. 
like she had stolen the logo. I shouldn't say this, but she had gotten the logo from clip art and she made the website herself, but she's not a website developer. Everything was really inconsistent. It was all over the place, but people just kept buying it and people just kept reviewing it and raving about it. She had like over a hundred reviews on her site. She had influencers asking for her product and making these incredible videos about it. So when the pandemic hit, uh, my industry was shut down. So it was my sister's because it's hospitality and production. So I went on my own little spiritual journey in the beginning. I did the artist way, I did a meditation with Deepak Chopra and Oprah, which I'm sure some people know of. And, and then, you know, about halfway through, I was like, well, what else can I do? And that's when we thought, well, why don't we help rebrand Birch Babe? Um, so, you know, I had a, a couple phone calls with my mom and then we decided to dive in, rebrand Birch Babe. It took about four months. We rebranded the packaging, the logo. We did a photo shoot. We rebranded the website. We launched an organics line and we did everything. We rebranded the Instagram. And from there, we decided to launch everything October 1st. So October 1st, we launched Birch Babe, like 2.0. And October saw a double in sales, which is amazing. So sales to, um, you know, retailers, we were already in about 40 retail wholesale shops across North America. And we saw that increase quite significantly. And then we weren't really talking too much direct to consumer online. And we saw that uh, double. And then November hit, which just passed and November's online, you know, presence and sales grew by 200% from October which was amazing. And so I just wanted to share that like behind the scenes and like, or sorry, I wanted to share kind of what happened, like where it was, what happened and where it is now. And then the behind the scenes is my sister decided to move to the cottage to live with my mom to help run the studio because originally it was my mom and a part-time worker. So my sister came, she started running the studio I've been doing like creative social media, you know, PR, any production stuff, which I can do from Toronto. And we always joke that my sister was managing 30 people. At, she was at Sneaky D. She was the head manager there. And uh, you might know of it. Yeah. And so, she, she jo- so maybe she's met you before and you guys don't even realize it. Maybe. Maybe. So she always jokes that she was managing 30 people at Sneaky D's and it's actually harder now when she's managing two people at Birch Babe because managing my mom is like managing 50 people. She's like, (laughs) we joke that she's a mad scientist. She wants to do a million things at once. She's used to doing everything. She's always trying to come up with like new recipes and new ideas. So it's really just keeping her focused because she's so good at what she does. Um, and then I've been living here now for the last two weeks and I'm going to be coming back and forth from Toronto here every other week. So it's like the dynamic of me, my mom and my sister all working together, all very different personalities, all very strong personalities. And we probably have a blow up at least once a day and then we're immediately over it and we're all best friends again. I love that it's family run. That's such a cool story. And one thing I wanted to ask you is, so everything is like handmade by your mom and your sister. Uh, Yeah. So to answer your question, hundred percent. So everything is a hundred percent all natural. It's certified natural from CertClean, which is uh, 
a very, very, very good thing to do if you're a skincare brand. They actually come in and look at every single ingredient and how you make it. And they'll only give you the certification if you like pass their very specific guidelines. Um, it's all handmade here in the studio and it's all ethically sourced ingredients. Uh, we're all waste free. So anywhere possible to not have plastic, we don't have plastic. All of our packaging is plastic free. Um, there's three bottles right now that do have maybe a little bit of plastic in them. And those would be the sprays and the droppers. And in January, 2021, we're actually launching um, an initiative where we have screw on top caps for them. So when you go online, if you're ordering a toner, you have the option to get it with a spray or with a screw on cap. And same with the serum, you have the option to get it with a dropper or with a screw on cap. And the reason we're giving the option is because we want to be as inclusive as possible to every type of person who's on their sustainable journey. And for some people, it's very new. So, you know, a spray might be familiar to them. And for some people, they're really hardcore, which is great. Um, and in other cases, some people are ordering things for the second time. And so they know that they can keep their dropper or keep their spray and then just order a bottle to refill. And that's something that you don't see, especially in the beauty and cosmetics industry. If you walk into a shopper's drug market, Sephora, any big box, it's completely plastic. And I know you said, oh, they might say they're all natural or all organic. Usually that's just green marketing and just a ploy to like get you in the store. There's been so many stories of companies that are like cruelty free. And then it comes out like a month later, they're like, oh, actually they weren't. That was just like a marketing ploy to get you to buy their products. So it's really awesome that you guys are in the beauty and skincare industry and are able to make it all sustainable and as plastic free as possible and waste free and as, you know, sustainable for the environment. And one thing I wanted to ask you is, so how do you implement this sustainable image and being a sustainable consumer in your everyday life with other products outside of Birch Babe? So for me, it's been an imperfect journey this whole time. Uh, and that's why I just want to say, first off, on Birch Babe, we do not expect every single consumer to be completely zero waste. We don't ask that of anyone. We don't expect that of anyone, especially the way that our society has been built. There's plastic in everything. And we're all encouraged to want, need, have these things. So it's really hard to like unravel ourselves from this society that we've been ingrained into. So with that, I just wanted to say, we really try at Birch Babe to celebrate the little changes. So we've even shown pictures, for example, on our Instagram of our shampoo and body bars that are waste-free in the shower next to some all natural or organic um, body products and brands that are in plastic. And that's just to show that, you know, someone can buy Birch Babe, but they can also use other products and we celebrate that. Someone can also buy a birch babe and start to transition into using waste-free shampoo um, or conditioner, but they might still have a body wash in their shower that they really like with all natural ingredients and it's in plastic and that's okay because we don't want anyone to feel like they have to be perfect because everyone's at their own stage and their own journey. And that's the same for us. Like my mom, for example, every single thing on her body is birch babe. So there's nothing that she puts on her body that she doesn't make. And that's amazing. Most of the stuff I use is Birch Babe, but I'm still accustomed to these other products that I'm starting to, you know, detach myself from. Uh, my birthday, which is happening on Sunday, 
I'm going to make a pact to myself that any new clothing that I buy is vintage because I've been pretty good at only buying sustainably ethically made clothing or clothing from brands that I know are doing, you know, a pretty good job. Like I haven't shopped at Zara in forever or H&M or any fast fashion brand, but I mean, there's a lot of things that I buy that are new that I just don't need. Or there's a lot of things that I buy that are new that I could easily buy used. And to be honest, I do my gut check. So for me, it sounds silly, but when I've bought new outfits in the past year from brands that are sustainable or, you know, one that I think is pretty good, I don't want to like post about it or share about it because I'm kind of embarrassed that I bought something brand new. So I'm like, well, what would I be proud of? And I'm like, well, if I bought an entire outfit that was vintage, I'd be so proud of that. Um, so I think it's just making little changes and it can happen fast. It can happen slow, but as long as it's happening, that's all that really matters. Like at Birch Babe, I'll just close with saying we had to get new cutlery, coffee cups, glasses, and plates. And my mom was like, just go to Value Village and get them there. And I thought, okay, yeah, it's cheaper at Value Village. But then I went to Value Village and I've gone to Value Village for like Halloween costumes and some things once in a while, but I never thought to go there for household items. And we got the most wick, like the most amazing, like kitchen set, really cool cups, this really cool coffee mug I'm drinking out of. And it was not only less expensive, but I felt so good not buying something new. I'm so glad you brought up sustainable fashion. I'm currently in a course. It's called, if you're a U of T student listening, it's GGR 252. I highly recommend it. It's retail geography. And when I signed up for the course, I thought it w- we were going to just talk about fashion industry, but the whole course has been on sustainable fashion. And so we've really gotten to research and learn more about and do readings on sustainable fashion and the amount of waste that goes into clothing. And what we do with our clothing is what has really surprised me because You honestly, and I think most consumers, it just goes over our head a lot of the time. We don't spend enough time thinking about it. And we watched this documentary that was done a couple of years ago about how many people just donate clothes. And you think, I'm doing such a great job. I'm donating my clothes. It's going to go to someone in need and, you know, good for me. But then you realize that it very rarely ends up going to actually someone in need. And you know, the same people who are saying I don't have my clothes are the same people who don't shop vintage or have never bought anything secondhand. So you see the discorrelation between what people are doing with their clothes and then how they're actually their consumption patterns. And it just really blew my mind. I, I feel like there's not enough education around it. I feel like it's not talked about enough. And as consumers, like you said, especially now with COVID, that all the small businesses here in Toronto, for example, have been shut down and you're forced into these big box retailers. Like it's just like first nature to just shop at Zara and H&M, but you just don't realize the carbon footprint that like one t-shirt has, for example, or one sweater has. And obviously, like you also mentioned is like the overconsumption. It's just ingrained in us. And especially with TikTok, and this goes back to what we were talking about before with like the hopping into new outfits. It's like wired into our heads that we just need something new 24 seven all the time. For sure. And I think, I don't think it's anyone's fault. Like, especially now, the more, the more I'm less involved in that, like I'm living in the countryside with my family making all natural soap that's waste free. So 
the more I'm actively doing this, the more I actively don't want to get sucked into mass consumerism. So I'm fortunate, like I'm gift, it's a gift that I have this opportunity. So I don't really blame anybody because it's not really anyone's fault. Like I find even for myself, I learn through doing, I learn through action. So when I'm really in it, when I'm really like in it with those new clothes and I'm getting those t-shirts and it looks really cool and it makes me feel really good. I don't know. You're just, you're in it. So you kind of don't really see the, another way. And it feels like you kind of have to do that to keep up with the TikTok videos and the new outfits and everyone looking so cool. But I just found that, you know, when I followed less of those people and I followed more of the people that made sustainability look sexy, cool, badass, fun, I got really excited about that. Um, And the more I started taking little steps into making my own life cleaner, like I've been plant-based for a few years now, that's a huge, huge, huge shift. The more um, I wanted to carry that out into other parts of my life. And that's why at Birch Baby, we want to celebrate the little changes because once someone makes a little change and you feel so good doing that, it actually releases this like weird sustainability endorphin where you kind of want to do it a little bit more and you want to do it a little bit more. And now that we've been talking about this transition, how does this flow into the marketing campaigns? You are the creative director for Birch Babe and you really see the other side of it where you're marketing these products. So how do we transition being sustainable into our marketing habits? Yes, that's a great question. So um, we're a small team. I'm one person. I'm doing a lot. And I think what's given us the success that we've had so early you know, uh, into our Birch Babe 2.0, it's only been two months, is that, you know, for me, it was like, well, how do we speak from the heart and connect to community? And it was all just about connection to community, lifting people up, being supportive, and being ourselves. So that's a big thing. It wasn't, you know, how do we do what everyone else is doing? How do we sell, sell, sell? How do we get people to buy? It was none of that. It was really, how do we be supportive and how we were supportive as we reached out to anyone. A few of the things that I did in the two months that we've launched Birch Babe is one, I reached out to a bunch of micro influencers before we even launched. And I say micro influencers lightly because they weren't even really like influencers. They weren't, that wasn't their job. They were just people who loved sustainability, loved nature um, you know, love living consciously and, you know, they like to celebrate life. So for us, I thought, okay, let's just reach out to these people that are perfect birch babes, perfect birch babe examples. And it doesn't matter if they have 230 followers or 50,000 followers. And I had some people in the beginning saying, well, don't even bother reaching out to them if they have less than 20,000 followers. Like there's no point. You're not going to reach enough people. And I thought, no, that's, that's not true. Um, I was taking a little bit of a note from Glossier because I do love how Glossier grew their uh, online presence just by talking to people and building a community. So I really took a note from them and from some stuff I've heard Emily Wise say. And secretly, our goal is to be the sustainable version of Glossier. So, (laughs) So I thought, hey, it doesn't matter if they, how many followers they have, it just matters that what they're saying is important. Because I know that 
I like to think of it as when you go and you stand on stage and you talk to a bunch of people, if I was in the stand on stage in a room of 200 people, that would be a really good turnout. And so someone who has 230 loyal followers, like those people are listening. They're listening to what they have to say. So don't discount that. And also it's about community. It's not a transaction. So I genuinely believe that these people are excited about what we're doing. I want their feedback. I want to see how they celebrate it. And I want them to do what they want to do with the pictures because we're going to learn a lot from them. So that was one of the things that really helped us with our success was building that community because I think that helped spread the word about Birch Babe in a really fun, organic way. Um, Another thing that we did was when Black Friday came up, the week before, um, I just kept thinking, oh yeah, we have to do Black Friday sale. We have to do some kind of a discount or everyone else is doing it and you feel all that pressure. Like we we were talking about with clothes and and buying clothes and the pressure to do what everyone else is doing. And so I kept writing these messages and writing this marketing mumbo jumbo. And then at the end of the day, I just thought this doesn't really sound like us. So we have all these shampoo bars and we want to give them away because my mom has always donated to the Salvation Army every year. It's her favorite charity. We really wanted to give back. We had had a really great amount of growth and success in October and November. So we thought, well, let's just give a free shampoo bar to someone in need for every shampoo bar that someone buys between now and December 31st. And that's what we did. And we just posted about it. It was a text message that was sent between me and someone else talking about, you know, they asked me, what are you doing for Black Friday? And we said, we're not doing anything for Black Friday. We are just... um, going to give back instead to people in need. And that post got the most likes we've ever had. Um, And people shared it and they celebrated it and they talked about it. And I think it was just because we were true to our hearts and it didn't limit our sales. It didn't stop people from shopping at Birch Babe. It was just, you know, we're a company that's about buying what you need and wasting less. So it doesn't make sense to be pushing people with these sales strategies to get them to buy more, buy more, buy more, you know, in a rush, especially during a time of a pandemic when a lot of people might not be working right now. And it's a really difficult time. So we're not worried about sales. Like there's a lot of people who are wanting to transition into this new sustainable way of living, shopping consciously, giving back to the environment, being good to their bodies. and those people who want to shop that way are going to come to Birch Babe, whether we try to convince them with a crazy Black Friday deal or not. Yeah, 100%. And I think one thing that you said there that's really important for any small business that is trying to grow their Instagram base or grow sales or anything like that is really staying true to who your audience is, which is hard because sometimes you want to get as many followers as possible in the shortest amount of time and really see that growth. And especially on platforms like social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever it might be, but you also want to grow an organic following. And I know that you recently posted on your Instagram story that you've almost doubled your Instagram following in the last little while, but that all of that is really organic and that everyone who follows either really believes in Birch Babe or wants to support or wants to learn more and is really engaged in it. And I think that's really important for other small businesses to remember when you're trying to grow your Instagram base that like you said, even if it's only 200 followers, that's a lot of people still. And if those people are loyal and engaged and truly believe in what you're doing, then 200 is just as good as 
10,000 or 50,000. A hundred percent. And I've seen the value in it so much with Birch Babe. There's people who have 50,000 followers who are like big time Toronto influencers who have posted in their stories about our product. And I'm so grateful to them for that. And I'm sure we got a lot of eyeballs on it, but we didn't get a lot of followers from it because we can see followers coming in right after someone posts something. But I've seen people, there was an organization called Sustainababe. Um, call out to Sustainababe. Everyone should follow them. I love them. And they're this new young organization. I think they're all like in their young 20, like, you know, low 20s. And they just wanted to build this platform to celebrate living sustainably for people in their age bracket uh, and get people excited about it. And so we did a giveaway with them and we've been doing some stuff to support them. And they only had like 230 followers, but you know, on their giveaway that they posted with us where we provided a product and, or like a package or something for people to win, we got a ton of followers from that. And I didn't do it for the followers. I did it because I genuinely love what Sustainababe is about because I love people who are in their late teens and early twenties. Like I'm obsessed with people in their early twenties because I think they're just so smart and so savvy and so passionate and so dedicated and just so enthusiastic. So anything I can do to like get involved and support that I'll always do. Yeah. I just want to, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that it's just knowing your target audience. And if you don't know who your target audience is, is figuring out what your goals and visions are. And then from there, determining who best to display your product to, or display your, like, even for us with the podcast, it's been difficult to really figure out, you know, we've had a lot of support from family and friends and we're so grateful for that. But then it's taking a step back and saying, who are these episodes really for? Like who's going to get the most out of listening to these really insightful conversations. And then from there finding accounts that have the same girls that follow that are really passionate about business or about change or about getting involved and, you know, their career growth and mentorship. And that's what we've really seen a lot of our listeners come from and our listeners have been growing um, you know, a lot more since we've been posted on these accounts that, again, have the same following that we do. So very similar to that. And I think that's a tip that any small business can implement that will really help with uh, following or social media engagement or anything like that. But moving a little bit away from Birch Babe, I want to talk about your career as a whole. You've had the ability to work on a number of projects in both business, film, marketing, production. How do you keep an open mind in terms of your work rather than falling to a trap that so many of us do, which is that we're only qualified for one job or only qualified for one industry? So in my career, I've done quite a few things. I wouldn't encourage everyone to do it the way that I've done it because it might not be the right way, but maybe just take it with a grain of salt. So I went to school for creative advertising only because I think I wanted to go to school for fashion design, to be honest. And then my mom was like, no, 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 it's too hard to get a job there. You should just go to school for creative advertising because you're kind of like a business person, but you're also creative. So that's what you'll go to school for. And I was kind of like, sure, whatever. Like I didn't really care or know what I wanted to do. So I went and it was a three-year program and I spent, it took me seven years to graduate because I ended up like piecing out and going to BC and being a snow bunny for a bit. And then just like frolicking around and trying different odd jobs. So I finished and I had this really successful career in advertising as an account person. And for anyone who knows an account person in an ad agency is kind of the person that does client services, but also manages the numbers. And this is important because 
I lived the first half of my twenties, actually most of my twenties in complete ego, because I thought the, the whole goal in life is to make the most money to get promoted the fastest and to be the best. And so that was my goal was to just like move my way up into these top ad agencies, getting promoted and making a ton of money. And I really crashed and burned and ended up having like a, a bit of a rebirth. So I quit drinking, I quit hanging out with certain people and I started, I dyed my hair every color under the sun in my early thirties, like fuchsia, purple with orange roots, green, blue, white, every color. And I think what it was is I realized that I was actually an artist and my whole twenties, I was living a different life. I thought that money and fame and all that stuff was the most important thing. I didn't realize that actually what was the most important was following your heart no matter what. And when you follow your heart, no matter what, things just kind of work out. So I just wanted to give that backstory because if there's anyone who's like doing something and it feels like you're just doing it because you feel like you're supposed to do it, then there might be something else out there. And what helped me transition into every career I've transitioned to, which since I left advertising as an account person, I started working as a producer. So it first started in um, a post audio house working um, with a, with music production. Uh, then I went and I produced my first documentary film with my ex uh, boyfriend at the time. And that ended up getting nominated for an Oscar, which was hilarious <laughs> and acquired by HBO. So with that, when I came back from going to the Oscars in LA, I thought, okay, well, now I've got this Oscar nomination. I should do something with this. So I started my own company. I started repping um, top independent directors across North America and connecting them to ad agencies who were looking for directors to work on their projects. Uh, and then I started producing. And then I started a company with my, with you know, called Violet Media, where I was producing and repping these directors. Then I merged Violet Media into a company called Quiver with my new partner, Graham Budd. And Quiver was doing like crazy interactive production installations. So we like went to the, you know, the jungle of Brazil and we filmed wild jaguars and virtual reality, but it was like room scale VR. So when you put on the headset, you were in this space with the jaguars from five feet to seven feet where you could walk around and we launched it at South by Southwest. And, you know, we, we filmed stuff on top of mountaintops. We did crazy installations and I was producing and I'll just wrap this up by saying again, like I was doing creative stuff. I was working in production, but I wasn't following my heart. I was doing the stuff I thought I was supposed to do. And it was doing the artist's way, which anyone out there who's wondering like what, the F am I doing with my life? I highly recommend doing the artist's way. I only did it to chapter three the first time and it changed my life. It made me realize that I've always wanted to be an artist. I've always wanted to act. I used to model when I was a kid and I wanted to create things. And so just from doing the artist's way, I ended up quitting Quiver with my partner at the time, knowing that it might make us break up because we were running this baby together and it was starting to really take off. I knew we might break up, but I knew it was more important that I followed my heart. And it was hard for the first four months. We didn't break up. And I basically had to start from scratch again. 
Um, and it took two years starting from scratch. I went to acting classes for an entire year and I pursued directing and I told myself I'm going to pursue acting and directing and whatever one takes off is the one I'm going to go with. And then within two years, I ended up directing, you know, stuff for AT&T with the Black Eyed Peas. I ended up directing um, some stuff for Under Armour, um, which we filmed in Hawaii and Arizona. And then I recently ended up directing work with uh, Four Seasons Global in working in Istanbul, Turkey. And I was just in Egypt before the pandemic hit. So it really... I really just wanted to share that because I could have never predicted those things. And the success of those things was really just from like following my heart and doing the next right thing. Thank you so much for sharing. I think it resonates with a lot of students and even people who are in the workforce right now. And it's it's hard to follow what your heart says. And that's one of the things I want to ask you is I'm sure there were so many challenges along the way with like fear and self-doubt and you know, taking risks, how did you deal with such thoughts? Um, and how did you overcome those challenges? For sure. Those thoughts come up all the time. They never go away. They will continue to come up. And I just learned that if I'm afraid of it, then it's probably because I want to do it a lot. So anything that I'm afraid of, I've learned that that's what I have to lean into. And I just wanted to share too, that, um, you know, I have some friends that will talk to me or I talk to like a lot of other people like in a mentorship way. And I also have my own mentors. What's helped me is talking to people that have what I want. So if, when I wanted to be a producer, I reached out to people who were successful producers and I asked them to meet me for coffee. Now it might be like a zoom chat. And I just said like, how do you do what you do? And it's just as simple as writing them a message. Hey, I really admire you. I'm so inspired by you. I was hoping maybe I could chat with you for 30 minutes about what it is that you do. Um, here are some times and availabilities because people are busy. Let me know what works for you. And I find for every 10 people, I'll get at least one or two people that are more than happy to chat with me. I did the same thing with directing. I did the same thing with launching Birch Babe. So talking to people that have what I want is really helpful because otherwise what happens is that there's this thing that I want. I know nothing about it. I know nothing about how to get there and everything is in my own imagination. And I'm not the best guide for this because I want to be there, but I'm not there. So when I talk to people that actually are there, it actually allows me to see the building blocks that I need to put into place to get there, which is super helpful. And it also makes it a less scary because people I might look at and be like, Oh, you know, how did they get there? And blah, 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 blah. But when I talk to them, I realize that they're just humans that are trying to navigate life and it's scary for them too. And this is how they got there. And it was actually kind of messy too. So I think that's really good advice. And also just be willing to change. Like, you know, I had that, like that successful directing. Well, it was a very early directing career and and it still is something that I have that I do and I want to pursue. But when the pandemic hit, it just didn't make sense to rely on that anymore. So I did the artist's way again with six people. And from that, all I kept seeing was Birch Babe, Birch Babe, Birch Babe, Birch Babe. And even though I was like, no, but I just started this directing career. Like, this is what I need to follow. Like my head would say like, do this, do that. Like, don't do this. That makes no sense. Like you just put all your energy into this directing thing. Why would you shift? But I was like, no, like I have to do this. And 
I think it's, it's okay to just shift and realize that you can do more than one thing at once. Um, you can change your mind and, you know, do it obviously with some thought and some care. Don't just try something and then be like, I don't like it anymore. I'm going to change. Um, but it's okay to shift. And so now I can still direct projects on the side, but like I'm a full-time birch babe and I'm dedicated to making this company successful. I'm so glad you brought up uh, the idea of like coffee chats and meeting with people who have your dream career or your dream job, because it's something we've talked about so much in this podcast, yet still, I know there are so many people out there who have this fear that people aren't going to answer. They don't know how to go about it, but it is so important and people are so willing to talk to you and to help you. And it really could be the difference between starting something and not because all you need is one person to give you the confidence or to give you one piece of insight that's going to spark something inside and you're going to start something which you never know what it can snowball into. Uh, One of the last things I want to ask you to close off this episode is what is one piece of advice that you want to leave listeners with that you wish you knew or that you've been given throughout your career? Be humble which is a hard thing to do. It's hard to like cash or I'll be humble, but it's, it's having humility. And I think having humility has been one of my greatest strengths and it's allowed me to pivot and switch so much because I've never been upset with being a beginner. And I know it can be really hard to be a beginner because, you know, for me, for me, even when you're at the top of something or you're really good at something and then you switch from like an account person to a director or an executive producer to a director and then a director to me now trying to take photos it can be really hard to be like, well, I don't want to be a beginner again. I was making so much money and I was like top of my game traveling around the world. But the best way to learn is to start from the beginning and be okay with that. Because from my perspective, like I only get to be a beginner once. Like everyone that's listening to this, no matter how old you are, like if you're in your twenties or something and you're at the beginning of your career, you only get to be at the beginning of your career once. So it's like soak all of that in and, and be okay with being a beginner. Uh, and I, I just say, like, I always say to some friends, I've had friends that have come up to me and said, hey, I want to be a producer. You became a really successful producer pretty fast. Like, how'd you do it? And to be honest, I did a lot of stuff for free at first. I even paid someone 200 bucks once so that I could get an executive producer credit on her like makeshift video that she was doing that finally got edited a year later. and. I was like, please do not share this with the world or put my name on it because it was a disaster um, when I was producing it because I didn't know what I was doing, but it was important for me to pay to do it so I could learn. It's important to do things for free in the beginning so that we have the opportunity to fall on our face in a really safe environment because the stakes aren't that high. And it's important to be humble so that we can be teachable, um, to not feel like we have to be the expert. And I'll just close by saying one of the best pieces of advice that a mentor gave me I've always hung on to is that he said he always makes sure that he's, you know, the dumbest person in the room. And that's a very blunt way of saying it. And I go, what do you mean? And you go, and he's a very successful person who's started numerous companies, made tons of money, but super chill, super cool guy. And he goes, I have to be the dumbest person in the room because as soon as I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm not learning anymore. And that really stuck with me is that it's a, it's a blessing to be the person that's learning in the room because it means that we're growing. And then I just want to say one quick more thing that another mentor had shared with me. 
And that is that um, I have a friend who is on a, a very popular TV show, a global, like not global, it's, it's a very popular Canadian TV show. And he was a judge on this TV show. And I asked him, I was like, how did you become so successful? And he makes talent famous. He helps make people famous. And so I said, well, how do you do it? And he goes, well, I make every single person that I manage start from the bottom and work their slow way up the ladder. They have to take every step of the ladder. They can't skip any steps. And the reason is it's because we learn something from every single step that is so important that when we skip that, when we fail or make a mistake or fall, we fall 10 times harder. And so it's just like soak in every single step, you know, embrace the process and slow and steady really does win the race. As cheesy as that sounds, it's true. I completely agree. I honestly don't even want to add anything to that because you said it so beautifully. And I think that all of that advice is really, really important and something that we all need to start implementing or, you know, just keeping in the back of our minds at all times. Uh, And with that, I want to thank Kelsey so much for joining us on the show today and sharing her journey, her story, her career, and more about Birch Babe. We're so grateful for you being here. And we will have all the links to Birch Babe on our Instagram page, as well as our website. You can also have the chance to win a Birch Babe's Organics Kit by donating to our Christmas fundraiser. Again, all the links are on our Instagram page and website. Thank you so much again, Kelsey. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. Have a great day.